You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles here this morning and uh, turn to the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 2. If you don't have a book, if you don't have the Bible with you, we would love for you to have one in your hands. We have plenty in the back. Just put your hand up. We'll bring one to you. As a church, we love God's Word, and we love to study it deeply and to, and to apply it thoroughly into our lives. Um, in our small groups, we're constantly taking uh, what we're walking through here in 1 John. We're applying it into each other's lives. We're praying to, to, uh, together. We're holding each other accountable to it. And uh, so I just would remind you and encourage you uh, to uh, give yourself to the the Word of God. And and on Sunday mornings, it's a special time for the Lord God to speak to us through the preaching of His Word. And so as we love expository preaching, expositional preaching, we're also expository learners and listeners as well. And so even as you prepare for small group in the days to come, it's good to have to take some notes, take it with you, and so that you can also be holding yourself accountable to it and applying it, and then together as a, as a small group as well. If you want to know more about small groups, regroups, come talk to me, come talk to any of the elders here. We would love to get you connected to that. But yes, we're in the book of First John. My name is Quentin. I'm the pastor here at Redemption Calgary South, and as we are strapping back into the book here of 1 John. This is the authentic book of 1 John. And let us remind ourselves where we are here in this epistle, where John has taken us so far, and where John is going to be taking us. Now, if you remember some of the background here, you remember that the Apostle John is writing this letter to a church that he loves so dearly, and it's a church that has suffered through some major dissension and fracturing within the church, Remember, there was some influence of false teachers mixing in pagan culture, mixing in empty philosophy into the faith, which was then distorting the true understanding of the nature and person of Jesus Christ, and with that also the true understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And so the fallout of this schism in this church was that people had to leave, but there was also the faithful who remained under John's care, and they were hurt, and they were confused, and they were also skeptical, skeptical about what true faith really was. And with that, they were also struggling with the assurance that they themselves were really in the faith. And so John writing to them as their, their beloved elder in the faith, he's, he's writing as he reveals in chapter 5, verse 13, he's, he's writing that they may know that they have eternal life. And that knowing that they have eternal life comes through testing oneself in light of the true nature of Christ. Remember, Christ is our standard, measuring ourselves against his word. It is the measuring rod. And that as we have seen and heard already, that, that where we are with Christ is proven through what we believe about him, how we devote ourselves to him, and then how we live in him. Right, it comes down to three things throughout this whole book of 1 John. Authentic faith, authentic devotion, and authentic living. So friends, as I've already mentioned in the book of 1 John, this is a, this is a mirror of examination. It is a testing of one's faith 
by letting the mirror of God shine deep into our hearts and reflect back to us who we truly are. And the question that we have been asking all along is, what is that reflection revealing? Is it truly reflecting the authentic image of Christ, or is it revealing something else? Well, where we left off two weeks ago, and in the first six verses of chapter two, we had this question, how do we know that we know? And John answered the question in in verse three from chapter two. He said, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What John was teaching the church ever so crucially is that Where you're at with your obedience to Jesus speaks volumes about your relationship to Jesus. That it is good and right to examine where we stand with Jesus by looking at how we respond to his command upon our life. And so last, the last time we were together in 1 John, it was really a moral test. It was asking ourselves three questions. If you remember, it was, am I rightly embracing his propitiation? Number two, am I really growing in obedience? And number three, am I truly looking more like Jesus? And so it was very much about looking at that fruit that is coming out of our hearts, examining our obedience to the Lord. And now this week, as we look at this next few verses here, it's going to look very much the same. We're going to be asking ourselves some questions. We're going to continue on this whole self-examination train. But in, instead of it being a moral test like last time, John is going to now give us a social test. right? Not just my outward actions in light of Christ, but how my heart engages others in light of Christ. That as John was talking about keeping Christ's commandments, he's now going to narrow in on keeping the greatest commandment. And so let's read verses 7 to 11 in 1 John chapter 2. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because... The darkness has blinded his eyes. Well, we need the Lord's help here this morning as always, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you covered in Christ's righteousness, filled by your Holy Spirit. We have your word open before us, the word that you have written to us so sufficiently by your spirit through men that you have preserved through the ages and have have caused it to be preserved perfectly for us this morning so that we can come and understand who you are and understand ourselves in light of you. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would be producing faith amongst us, that there would be repentance and confession as we are confronted and challenged as your Holy Spirit convicts and guides We also pray that we would be encouraged in our faith as as John is is writing to this church. He wants them to be encouraged that they have the assurance of faith. 
that we can rest in the propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but also we can be examining the fruit to see whether we are in the faith. And so we pray this morning that you, by your spirit, would continually work by your word to renew our minds, to transform our hearts, and to change our actions, all for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So friends, on the heels of a moral test, we now have a social test here in the scriptures. It's a test of light and darkness. It's a test of love or hate. And the first question we're going to ask ourselves here this morning is, are we fully embracing the law of love? Are we fully embracing the law of love? And so John begins writing this section. He says, beloved, beloved, I am writing you. Now, before we get going on uh, the rest of this commandment he's talking about here, let's just stop there for a moment and just take in the way that John addresses the church here. What does he call them? He calls them his beloved. Beloved, he says, I am writing to you. Friends, John is not writing to scold the church. John is not writing to be harsh with the church or, or to be judgmental to the church. No, John's motivations here are rooted in what? It's rooted in love. And to use the term beloved here just proclaims that to them in their struggle, especially as they're examining their own authenticity, that John's challenges here are challenges rooted in love. And so this is the first time he addresses the church this way in this book, but he's also going to, going to address them this way in chapter 3, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 21, chapter 4, verse 1, 7, and 11. Now, if you have ever read John's gospel, do you remember how John would refer to himself in his gospel? He would refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Right? John was a beloved disciple of Jesus Christ, and now he's showing that same affection of love towards them as they are his beloved. And so, friends, maybe even you, throughout this book of John already so far, maybe you're struggling with all of this self-examination stuff. Maybe it's really hard as you're looking into this mirror of authenticity. If that's you, just know that all of this is rooted in love. That as Jesus challenged John, it was because of love. And that as John is now challenging the church, it's because of love. Friends, God loves you enough not to leave you where you are, but to transform you and to grow you. And so John says here, he says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. So what John is saying here right out of the gate is that he's not bringing anything new to the table. Even though his critics of the day might have been saying that he is, he's not coming up with a new commandment out of the air or out of his own opinion for them to follow. No, in fact, as he says that it's not new, he affirms that it is an old commandment. As he says that it's one that they had from the beginning. To which he then further defines by saying, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. And so when you see the phrase, the beginning, partnered with the old commandment, partnered with the word that they have heard, what John is referring to here is nothing new, but something old. 
In fact, what he's referring to here is the totality of the commandment of Scripture. As he said, it's the one from the beginning, the word, the Scriptures, the message of the gospel preached from the word that they have already heard. But then in verse 8, he says this. He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, right? True in Jesus and in you. So it's not new, but it is old. And even as it is old, yet it is new. Is that clear? Well, it's not new in the sense that John is making it up. But new in the sense is is that this is how Jesus himself interpreted the old commandment and how this old commandment is both lived out in Christ's newness and and commanded through his new covenant. Now, where am I getting all of this from? Well, I'm getting it from John's gospel himself. You'll see as we're in 1 John, we do a lot of reference to the gospel of John, same author, same uh, distinct theology. And as we look at John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, it says here that, that Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. That's this new commandment that John is referring to. And that new commandment is what? The new commandment is that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if what? If you have love for one another. Friends, as Jesus looked at the commandment of the Old Testament, the new message he had for his disciples was the same old message of the old covenant, but yet it is freshly applied in Christ's newness. And so it's a new commandment. It's a commandment of love. And friends, that book that you hold in your hands is a book of love. That book that you hold in your hands is a commandment of love. When Jesus was asked by a Pharisee in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, he was asked, teacher, what is the greatest or what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he also said this, he said, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then listen carefully here as he says in verse 40, he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, the scriptures. Right? As Jesus would sum up the message of the scriptures, it all came down to love. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Right? That comes right from Deuteronomy 6.5, the great Shema, the great command. And then the second part comes directly from Leviticus 19.18, which says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Friends, when Jesus summed up the whole of the law of the prophets and the Bible, he summed it up as love for God and love for God's people. And so when John is now talking about the old and new here in his epistle, this is what he's talking about. 
This is about the old that is yet new. This is an ongoing command to love both God and love each other. And if you don't believe John, Paul also talks about this in Romans 13, 8 to 10. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so friends, according to the word that the church heard, Right, the old commandment and the new commandment, friends, it is all about love, to which John then goes on to say this. He says, which is true in him, true in who? True in Jesus and in you. So it's true in Jesus and it's true in the church. Why? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. True in him and true in you. Let's explore what that means. Well, as we start with it being true in him, what John is referring to is that Jesus was the one who perfectly exemplified true love in his life. And he was the only one who could ever perfectly love both the Father and people. What John is revealing here in this language of commandment is this, is that the law of love came down for us. The law of love came down for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was love from God, love that came down to perfectly fulfill the law of love. Friends, even though the old command could be summed up to to love for God and love for others, it wasn't until Jesus came down to be born of a virgin, to be born as a human, that perfect love could actually be seen in the flesh. That as much as humanity could ever attempt to even try, only one person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, could ever love perfectly. As John says that the darkness is is passing away and and the true light is already shining here, what we see again is a play on light and darkness. That to love is to be in the light. So as Jesus, you think about Jesus coming, as he broke forth into our dark world, he was the light, as John says. He was the light of the gospel, John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, this is the way that light and darkness works. Darkness is merely the absence of light, and as light shines into the darkness, it vanquishes the darkness. It doesn't do that the other way around. And so as Jesus is the perfect law of light as he came down from the glory of heaven to be the light of the world John says he is the true light the word true in the greek alethes speaks of being genuine it speaks of being authentic hence the authentic theme we have going on here and so as John says that that this is true in him he also says that this is true in you 
Friends, as Jesus is the law of love come down for us, John is also teaching that the church, that the law of love lives through us. Right? It's true in him and it's true in you. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Friends, as, uh, as Kim and I flew to, to Ontario last week for our conference in Oakville, as we were as we were flying into the city, as we were descending into Toronto, I was kind of sleepy but waking up. And as I was looking out the window, looking into the darkness of the night and seeing kind of the city coming closer, all over the city of Toronto and mostly Mississauga where we were, we were landing, I could see fireworks going off everywhere. Like everywhere. To the point that it seemed like a dream. There was sparkling, shining lights bursting for miles and miles across Toronto from neighborhood and corner. It was just incredible. And at first, I didn't really know what was going on. But then I remembered it was Diwali, right? The festival of lights, the biggest Hindu and Sikh celebration across the world, where on the third night, through this celebration, they light candles and they shoot off fireworks. And what they're celebrating is that light overcomes darkness, that good overcomes evil. But as I was looking at that, it was, it was a sad thing to see. It was beautiful, but sad, because these religions, they don't believe that Jesus is the light. They believe that the light comes from within. They worship all kinds of false gods instead of the one and only true God, the God of light, as we already studied in chapter one, with whom there is no darkness. The true light, as we already studied, Jesus Christ, the only one who can truly overcome darkness. So as beautiful as that was and as cool as that was, it's, it's a sad declaration that they don't know the true light. Friends, we need to picture this darkness passing and true light shining from the perspective that every soul across this planet has been born into darkness. That we are all born into absolute, inky black, blinding darkness, right? No light at all. And then it wasn't until Jesus Christ came down that the brightest light ever came to shine into our darkest hearts and our souls to vanquish the darkness. And then as he does that, through his Holy Spirit, he kindles his light within us. So just picture in your, your mind such a world of darkness but picture it beginning to be lit up person by person, disciple by disciple, as Jesus saves and, and shines his light into us and then out through us. That's a picture of this darkness passing away and the true light shining that John's talking about as the gospel multiplies from person to person as God saves and we shine his light. All right, it's like that old Sunday school song we used to sing, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. 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 As Jesus so brilliantly shone into our darkness, he now aims to so brilliantly shine his light of love 
through us. And friends, this is that timeless, old, yet new law of love that John is talking about here in his epistle. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is are we fully embracing the law of love? Like, are we really getting it? Do we really understand this? That to obey God is to to love God. Are we obeying him in this way? Is this love stuff natural to us? Is authentic, light, shining love, Christ type of love natural to us? Well, no, as we look at the word of God, it isn't. This isn't natural to us. In fact, we're born in darkness. We're born in opposition to love and light. What's natural is is hate and darkness. Before we get there, let's just ask that question again. Are we fully embracing the law of love? That Christ-like love is not merely a good idea. It's not just a good suggestion, but it's actually a command. Do we understand that love for God is inextricably connected to love for others? That the light of love for which Christ was sent wasn't meant to stop with us, but was was meant to go on. We were meant to be not just mere receptors of that love, but we are meant to be conductors and conduits of that shining love towards the world. But friends, the problem we all face naturally is that we naturally just don't love God and love others in that true light kind of way. No, in fact, in these last days, Paul says that it's going to be difficult. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, he says, but understand this, that in, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. Kids, listen up. Disobedient to their parents. It's a big deal. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul says, avoid such people. Friends, each one of those things is the exact opposite of true love. That's why John is saying here that it is a command. That it's not about whether or not I feel like it, or I want to do it, or I desire it. No, it's actually embracing that it is the totality of what our God is truly about. Embracing this first in our minds and then allowing that to transform our hearts. Friends, I don't think the problem is, I don't think the biggest problem we face is that we don't love. No, as we just saw in this list here, our biggest problem is that our love is misdirected, it is misguided, and it is misplaced. That we really just naturally love ourselves more than anything. And the problem is that when you love yourself more than anything else, or you love your sin more than God, there is no room for God. And there's definitely no room to love others. 
And so again, friends, what we, what we need here, as we look at God's word, we're constantly needing spiritual brain surgery. We need to be rewired by the Holy Spirit. The default code needs to be reprogrammed by God's great command, the old and the new command. And that needs to be heard in our minds over and over again, opening the word of God, allowing him to change the way we think. And when we do that, it's going to confront our old, natural, self-loving thinking to then bring us to a place of repentance. Repentance and faith as God then reshapes us, rewires us, he changes our thinking. That's that whole Romans 12 too, right? That being transformed by the renewal of our mind. And so when it comes to love, John here starts again with theology. He starts with how our minds need to be renewed, how our hearts need to be transformed in order for us to fully embrace this law of love. And so the question again is, are we fully embracing the law of love? Now, as we are to embrace this law in our minds, the next half of it is that we're also to ask ourselves whether or not we're actually living a life of love. Law of love, life of love. Are we actually living a life of love. Because it's one thing to have it up here, but what's happening in the heart and then what's happening out there with our actions? Are we merely just giving it mental assent, but yet we're not really living it out? Well, John goes on to say in verse 9, he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So as we remember, as this church is being, was being confronted and influenced by false teachers, the false teachers split this church that John is writing to, and they were not only confused about the nature of Christ, but they were also confused about what it means to love. As chapter 1 revealed that there were people who were saying that they had no sin. There were people that were saying that they, they knew God, but they disobeyed God. As there was people who were saying that, that we're abiding with him, but yet their lives completely invalidated what they said and claimed, so too we see here that John is calling out those who say that they're in the light, but are in fact in darkness, as proven through their hatred for their brother. Friends, you cannot claim to love God and have hatred for others. It just doesn't work that way. You can't claim to love Jesus and still choose to hate someone. You're not free to do that. No, in fact, according to the scriptures here, if you hate someone yet claim to walk with Jesus in the light, the big truth is that you're not in the light. You're not walking with Jesus. You don't get the gospel. Your mind hasn't been renewed. Your heart has not been transformed. And you are still blinded in the darkness. And friends, again, the context for John here is the church. 
that there were those who were in the church who claimed to love God, but they were lacking love for others, even so far as hating others. Now, we're not 100% sure who they were hating here, but hating one's brother seems to infer that it was hating brothers and sisters within the church, that most likely because of differences in theology, through the influence of the culture, there was a creation of a spiritual elite group of those who thought that they were the only ones who were truly enlightened through the influence of Gnosticism of the day. And so just picture the jealousy and the judgment which would have led to a relational breakdown and animosity would have grown to the point that people who were supposed to be gathering in the unity of the Spirit, in love, were now gathering as a fractured body. Not practicing the the one another's of love, but were in fact despising one another. And that even in that, some would have felt justified in it. I'm right they're wrong. I know the true way. They do not. They don't agree with me. Therefore, I'm not going to be kind to them. In fact, I can't stand them. And so this was a problem back then. And uh, we may say that we are so glad that those old problems in the church no longer exist today. This is just a big kumbaya party. We all just love each other. We all just get along all the time. But is that the truth? No, it isn't. Are these just old problems that the ancient church experienced? But we have now ironed out these problems today. No, absolutely not. If you just take a scan of churches today, And churches throughout history, churches have always been facing this dark reality throughout its existence. That over the past 2,000 years, churches have experienced conflict. Churches have experienced infighting. They've had battles and they've had a lack of love, all kinds of issues. Churches have split and then they, they split again due to a lack of love and even hatred within. I mean, just think about Just think about the number of denominations in the world. According to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, these were numbers from 2012, there were roughly 43,000 Christian denominations worldwide, and they projected that by 2025, there would be 55,000 denominations worldwide. And that according to these estimates, a new denomination is formed every 10 and a half hours. That's 2.3 denominations every day. And that's denominations. That's not just churches splitting. Now to be sure, these numbers include churches that we would consider pseudo-Christian churches, even false churches for sure. But if there are 55,000 different denominations across our world, you can't help but point out that the reason in part, that there are so many is because people have differences. Differences to the point that they separate. And friends, when a church splits, it is not a pretty thing. It is an ugly thing. There's feelings that get hurt. Relationships are broken. Infighting goes on. Accusations are thrown around. People who call themselves Christians begin to despise one another. I mean, I know of a local church right now where the elders are so divided they can't even talk with each other that there is animosity between them. 
and that if they don't humble themselves immediately, it's not going to go well for that church. Friends, although it seems necessary and even good at times for churches or groups to go their separate ways, there is no allowance within the great command for people to hate each other. There is no allowance at all. Although you might get your feelings hurt, although you might be falsely accused, Although you may be betrayed or rejected, there is never room in God's great commandment to despise or hate your brother or sister ever. No, John is saying to his church, those ones in that church that might be holding on to a grudge, holding on to these kinds of things, he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You're not in the light if you're doing this. Even further, he says in verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Friends, blind darkness hates. Sadly, the truth is that over the centuries and even today, there are still people within the church who call themselves Christians, yet they are blinded by their sin, who are still walking in the darkness, who don't have the light of Christ shining on their path, and they are fumbling and they are stumbling in the dark. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. They cannot see it. Their spiritual eyes have not been opened. They may even look the part. They may put on the Sunday smile. They may pack the Bible. They may even look quite godly. But as Paul revealed in 2 Timothy 3, 5, they are having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. They're unchanged. They're walking in darkness. And walking in darkness, friends, is the ripest place for hate to grow. Walking in darkness is the most fertile soil for one to despise. One commentator said it well. He said, spiritual darkness is not a passive reality. It goes on the offensive. Darkness attacks those living in, in it so that they become increasingly trapped in this realm of confusion and blindness. In a real sense, what we do is what we become. How we live is who we are. The longer one remains in this realm of darkness, the more difficult it becomes to see the sin that is in one's life and less likely one is to see his need to confess his sins so that fellowship with God can be restored. Habitual hatred leads to more hatred and the possibility of loving becomes less and less likely. Friends, blind darkness hates. For John, it is either or, right? Either you're in the light or you're in the dark. Either you love or you hate. And where does he get that from? He gets that from Jesus. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Friends, when it comes to obeying the law of love, the living of the life of love tells the true story. Well, let me ask you, what story is your life revealing? Are you truly embracing the law of love as proven in a life of love? The one way you can prove that is to really be a part of the church. Mark Dever says this, do you want to know that your Christian life is real? 
Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. Don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. And I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you love God. The truth will show itself. And that's so true. Friends, nobody said being a Christian would be easy. Nobody said belonging to the church would be a cakewalk. No, as much as it is a beautiful, sweet blessing to be the church, wherever people are, there is what? There is a tendency for sin, and there's a tendency for us to have run-ins with each other. Differences over opinions, differences over preferences, differences over convictions. And when we started this church as a small group, and then a core group over five years ago, I remember saying to our people that as much as we love each other, sometimes we're going to hurt each other. That even as a pastor, I may upset you. And friends, that has proven true. But there has also been ongoing love for sure, but along the way there has been hurts, there has been differences, there has been people who have come and gone And I'm sure that even in some of that, there has been a temptation for people to be upset, maybe even to the point of animosity. But friends, what John is showing us here is that even though you may have differences, even though, as we're going to learn, that some have gone out from the church who were really never a part of the church, there's still no room for hate. There is never room for animosity. No, friends, the church is where the light of Christ is to shine the brightest. It is not the place for the darkness to blind. And so in a very practical way, as this book is a mirror into our hearts, look into the mirror. Look into the mirror of God's word and look look into the deepest corners of your soul and look for the darkness that still remains Maybe in a corner of your heart, you may be holding on to some resentment towards someone. Look into your heart where jealousy may be residing. Look behind a door in your heart and and look where contempt may be living. Look for those thoughts that might be saying to you, I don't really like that person. I don't really like that person because they say this or they do that. I don't like their personality. Or it may be that that person has hurt me. Maybe that person has said something to me offhand that was really insensitive. Or maybe you just felt ignored by them. Or maybe, really, you were just blatantly sinned against. And maybe because of that, you're harboring ill feelings towards them in your heart. And instead of going and gently confronting them, maybe walking through the steps of Matthew 18 as we're instructed, instead you remain to be quiet and you harbor resentment. And then that resentment is like a burr on a saddle on a horse which begins to fester over time. And dislike turns into despising of that person. So friends, are there areas in your heart where this might be taking place? If there is, in the strength of the Spirit, in obedience to the great commandment, if you say you love God, but you're in a state of hating, you need to kill it. You need to kill it. You need to expose it to the light. 
You need to repent of it. You need to confess it. Maybe you even need to go to a person and be reconciled with that person, fully reconciled. You need to own your part, own your sin, ask for forgiveness. Now maybe it's not so much hate within the church. Maybe it's something outside the church. Maybe you claim to be in the light, but you have animosity towards somebody else or something out in the world. Maybe it's a secular friend or a coworker that undermines you or uses you. Maybe it's an employer who takes advantage of you. Maybe in that situation, you and the coworkers gather around and you gossip and you complain. Maybe you've got a neighbor that drives you crazy. Maybe they make too much noise. Maybe they live in a way that affects you negatively. Or maybe, maybe just this morning or just this week as you're driving on these icy roads, maybe other drivers are, are making you angry and you have a heart despising them or a heart despising. Where are the, where are the trucks? Where are the, where are the cleaning trucks of the roads? Maybe you find yourself harboring a lot of resentment towards our government and how they do things, how they handled COVID. I mean, with politics being so polarizing right now, maybe you find yourself despising those in power. I need to repent of this all the time. Maybe you've, maybe even as a Christian, the more seriously you've got certain opinions about a certain people group or nationality. Maybe even as Christians we would say we're not racist, but maybe in some small way in our negative opinion about somebody, we might try to connect that to their background. I mean, how do you feel about the government just recently announcing that they're going to bring 500,000 immigrants into Canada every year. Friends, even though we may not be outrightly discriminating or prejudiced, sometimes in a fleeting thought or reaction, we can find ourselves momentarily engaging some hidden hate in the heart. I mean, just think about the LGBTQ stuff out there. Even though we ought to be against what they believe and they practice, let me ask you, are we free to hate them? If you remember the Westboro Baptists from years back, you remember the signs that they had? God hates blank. Or maybe more personally, maybe somebody has hurt you or abused you or abandoned you. How does God's word here guide us towards those kinds of people? Are we free to hate them? What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 43 to 44? He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Friends, I get it. It's not going to be easy. It's actually really hard depending on your circumstances. Although you may be rightly hurt and rightly angry, there is still no room for hate. You may never be reconciled. You may never receive an apology. You may never even come close, but still there is no room for hate. No, according to John, blind darkness hates, but true light loves. We'll look back to the text again in verse 9. 
As it says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Friends, it is in the light where Christians live. It's in love with how we approach our brothers and sisters and those in the world. Proverbs 10.12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So as John is confronting this disparity in the church that one can claim to love God but not love people, he's addressing such a serious but real challenge that we all face to truly love God and to truly love others. This is two sides of the same coin. They cannot be separated. And as John argues for love, remember that John himself at one time, John and his brother James, the Zebedee brothers, They were once called the sons of thunder. That one time when they were with Jesus and they were on mission with Jesus and and they were his disciples as they were being discriminated themselves in a village in Samaria. They were refused by the Samarians. John himself and his brother said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They wanted to destroy these people. That's an act of hatred. But how did Jesus respond? Jesus rebuked them. So remember, where John was once hating, we now look to him as the apostle of love, once a son of thunder, now the apostle of love. And so friends, we need to be encouraged that there is transformation available, that in the power of the gospel, it not only saves, it also sanctifies, even as John acknowledges in verse 8 that the true light... The new commandment that is true in Christ, he says, is true in us. That the darkness is passing away. That the true light is shining. That is for us to be encouraged. To encourage you in how you're growing in that area of love for God and for others. And where you see hints and cracks of your old hating self being exposed. Again, friends, we need to jump on it. We need to remind ourselves of that new and old greatest commandment to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then with that, also remind yourself, rehearse to yourself, preach to yourself the gospel. That as all of us were once haters of God, it was because God so loved the world, God so loved a hating world, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the law of love himself, to come down to our darkness, to shine the truest light into our sinful state, to live and love where we were dead and hating, to truly love the enemy, to truly love the lost, to truly love the lowly and despised and forsaken and the outcast, to truly die out of love for us. In John chapter 15, 12 to 13, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Christ did for us. So the question is, is are you struggling to love? Are you struggling with hatred? 
Preach this to yourself, friends. Remember how far gone you were. Remember how much you were a lover of self and a hater of God and others. And then remember how God loved you enough not to leave you there. When you walk in this light of love, truly loving others, the Bible says you're, you're, you're abiding in the light. As God is light. And in that light, there is no cause for stumbling. No, friends, when we're in that light, our path is clear. You can walk straight forward. You know you're on the right way. It's the way to life as Jesus lights your path in love. And so the two questions again we ask, are we fully embracing the law of love? Are we actually living a life of love? Let's pray. And this prayer, friends, should be a prayer of confession because all of us can find ourselves here. And so we pray to our Father in heaven as we are in Christ and indwelt by his Holy Spirit. We confess before you, God, this morning that naturally we struggle with true love. We struggle with true love for you. We struggle with true love, authentic love for others. Father, we confess that we love ourselves too much. We confess that we love our sin too much. As you give us this old yet new and ever relevant command to love you and our brothers and sisters, Father, we confess that we are unable to do this in our own strength. And so as we have heard and as we know and as we have seen in the scriptures that from the very beginning, out of love for us, you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to be the ultimate means, the ultimate measure, the ultimate motivation and example of true love. That as he spoke his words of love, that as he healed out of love, that as he had compassion for the crowds, that as he confronted dead religion out of love, as he journeyed along and was despised and rejected by men, he did so out of love. As he bled and suffered and died, it was all out of love for you and your glory and love for us that he came to save those who don't deserve it, those who are natural haters of God, those who really don't know what true love is. And so we thank you, Father, that in your infinite wisdom and grace and love that you loved us first, so that in Christ we can now truly love. And we do pray that the darkness will continue to pass away and be further depleted in our lives and that the true light of love would shine all the brighter through us and that that same love would be transferred and passed on throughout this world as we would share the love of Christ. Lord, we love you. We want to love you more and more. We build our lives upon your love and it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.